This is episode 31 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Happy Thanksgiving. I love this holiday. And as you're listening in today, I'm going to be up to my elbows and pies and stuffing and setting the table for my beautiful family who will be gracing our table this year. I feel so very blessed to have such deep love all around me and for every minute that I get to spend with those that I love most in the world. My husband and I love to do big dinner parties, and with 22 people on our guest list, it's going to be a full house. I am thankful for my hubby's talent in the kitchen, and I know our two smoked turkeys, one on the Traeger and one on a Weber, are going to be delicious because he is such an excellent chef. He outchefs me every day, any day, and do I ever get to enjoy that? It's such a great benefit. And for me, this day is a day for family, and it's a day for being really grateful. And I have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for, getting to do the work that I I love to do for all my fabulous clients who grace my life and share their journeys with me, for my friends, for my mountain home I love, and for all the furry creatures who keep me laughing and keep my days entertaining. I've got my horses in the barn. I've got my dog. I've got my kitty. I've got my, I've actually got two dogs. I've got a lab and a Yorkie and my beautiful cat Zeppelin. And it's just really, I feel very blessed to have so much love and so much wonder around me on a day-to-day basis. And as I launch today's 31st episode of Extraordinary Women Radio, I want to say thank you to my loyal listeners. I love everything about this podcast. What is not to love about extraordinary women that I get to interview every single week? I'm grateful for the introductions and the partnerships, the stories and the inspiration that have come my way since I said yes to this just eight months ago. And it's been a really incredible seeing the the monthly growth and hearing your feedback that you're you're listening in, that you're loving it. So thank you for, for all of that. You know, and it's funny, I knew I was supposed to do this, but yet I questioned my sanity around adding something else of this scope into my schedule. I mean, where was the time going to come from, right? But I truly believe it was meant to be, and I'm so glad I said yes to me on this one, that I listened to my intuition that it was supposed to be. I was supposed to give birth to this. So I love it. And I just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to support this and to listen and be a part of it. And I'm particularly thankful for today's guest, Lauren Castile. In fact, I would probably name Lauren to the spot of the best leader that I've ever had an opportunity to work with in my life. And I've worked with some really great leaders in my life. Lauren is the president and CEO of the Women's Foundation of Colorado. And I've had the pleasure of serving on the board of the Women's Foundation for the past two years under her leadership This has been an incredible year for all of us at the foundation, and we talk about what it means to lead now in this very important time for all of us. We talk about leading change and what it means to lead with substance and not just symbols. 
Lauren shares her perspectives around how creating more pathways for economic security for women builds a more prosperous state for us all. Her wisdom is rich and it's deep. Lauren is the first person in Colorado to lead three foundations and possesses more than 20 years of philanthropic leadership, as well as a dedication to inclusiveness across gender, racial, economic, ethnic, military, abilities, and sexual orientation perspectives in Denver and throughout Colorado. Throughout her career, Lauren has gained numerous accolades. In 2014, Lauren was inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. She has been named as one of the 25 most powerful women in 2015 by the Colorado Women's Chamber, one of the Denver Business Journal's 2015 nonprofit foundation newsmakers, a timeless legend by Denver's Urban Spectrum newspaper. She received the Trailblazer Award from the American Association of University Women. She received the Girl Scouts Woman of Distinction Award, and in 2016, she was honored with the Monte Pasco Civic Leadership Award, just to name a few. She's an incredible trailblazer and a change maker. Let's jump in and meet Lauren Castile. Hi, Lauren. It's so great to have you join us today on Extraordinary Women Radio. Well, thank you, Cami. It's my pleasure to join you. Yes, you're such you're a woman that I so deeply respect, and you're, you're kind of my shero. I've been and just such a great admirer of you as a leader for the Women's Foundation of Colorado, as a champion for women, Colorado for our communities. Um, so, just I'm thrilled to have you here. Well, I am now completely embarrassed. So why don't we continue? <laughs> well, let's just jump in. Yeah. So your father, Whitney Young, was a civil rights advisor to three different presidents, and he led so many of the important conversations around racial integration in corporate workplaces during the civil rights era. He was certainly a change maker, and I'm, and he was a, a legacy, and I'm sure he left a lot of impact on you. What did you learn from your father about leading change? Well, my father passed away when I was 17, and so many of the things that I remember in terms of growing up with him as a child and then as an adolescent are phrases and then certainly some observations of him uh, throughout my life. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the most important things uh, that stays with me today is to distinguish between symbols and substance, uh, and it would come up within our home when uh, during the civil rights era I would be sticking, you know, bumper stickers on the refrigerator or things of that sort. And he would say to me, that's great, you know, that you're feeling passionate about that, but having that sticker on the refrigerator really isn't achieving a whole lot. So I urge you to think about um, what you can do that's more substantive and Mm. meaningful to create the change that you care about. I think the other things that I learned from him, and they perhaps weren't as uh, obvious to me as a child, but in retrospect, was the ability to adapt to unlikely alliances. And so within the context of the civil rights movement, uh, he working within the, the corporate sector, which may have seemed like an unlikely alliance, 
But in terms of the substance of his goals of providing education and jobs, uh, in particular in low-income African-American communities, it was a perfect alliance. And it was similarly his relationships with um, you know, the White House and with policymakers. So that coupled with uh, the role of Martin Luther King in bringing together the faith community, uh, which also included the Jewish community, mm-hmm. uh, or looking at the student nonviolent coalition uh, and bringing together young people. When you think about the images of the March on Washington, um, you see the full spectrum of American lives. Yes. Yes. You know, one is on the symbols versus substance. I think that's that's such an important distinction to think about in today's day and age. I mean, it's it's such a, an important thing for us to stop and think about. Are am I doing something that has substance behind it, and or am I just putting things out there, symbols of it? So I think that's mm-hmm. that's a great great lesson. And then on the unlikely alliances and 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 just how he approached it from jobs, from the, the perspective of bringing jobs. And I actually see the mirror happening for the work that you're doing with, with the Women's Foundation right now. So it's about creating opportunities and jobs for women. Um, do you think some of that, that wisdom stems from watching, your, you know, see, knowing that your father did that kind of work um, during, you know, during the 60s? Um, is that something that shapes the work that you do today? No, I wouldn't necessarily say so. One of the things that I think I learned from my father was um, to pay attention to um, the circumstances, to be informed in a decision-making process. And Mm -hmm. through his role, he was using um, what we today would call data or certainly, you know, facts, information. But many of those facts came not only from research, uh, of the status of African Americans in America or reports that the Urban League might have done, but also as he walked through diverse communities around America. So, uh, or looked at uh, experiences of family members, our extended family members, and recognizing uh, that there were certain privileges through um, really just happenstance of birth. Uh, right in some ways that he had had, and certainly that I benefited from, uh, even in a segregated society. So he began to ask himself, um, what made the difference? And in his mind, the translation of black power became green power, that it was economic power. In reality, my father was not as well known during the civil rights um, movement. Well, he was during that time, but his history has gone on because that message um, was a little bit ahead of its time. I think everyone now would agree that economic power, um, to have access to education and jobs is the way to go. So at the Women's Foundation, or throughout my career, there's been some common sense, um, engagement and informant uh, information that we've gained from community, as we did with our strategic plan, where right. people told us what was important. Um, There's data and research uh, and looking at strategic successes that have happened um, throughout the course of history. So I think it's 
it's interesting that I'm coming full circle, but if in fact the information had led us to a different path, then that's right. the path that would have been right to take, right. not simply because I was following my father. Right, right. And that makes a lot of sense. It wasn't just a carte blanche. This worked then and this, I'm going to go apply this. It's, it's more along the lines of what the, the, the listening and the hearing and going and having the conversations that shaped what you're doing with the Women's Foundation. Absolutely. You have to be uh, informed by the community, the voices, the experiences of the community that you're serving and that you represent. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, similarly, we have a whole span of a range of privileges and access. So how do we come together as a community? I grew up with an understanding that while I may have had certain privileges, um, and there's, there's a certain weight to being told throughout one's life that there's a responsibility that comes with those privileges mm-hmm. um, to be in service with community. Uh, I'm grateful for that message personally. It's given meaning to my life. Uh, but I think when we think about our donors uh, and and our full range of donors, similarly, people, whether they're giving $5 or $10 or whether they're donating their time or those who have been extremely generous um, uh, with much larger figures, uh, they are equally as important to us in terms of someone saying, I want to make a difference um, with whatever resources I have available. Um, I want to go beyond just the substance, uh, beyond the symbols, and actually move into substantive action. Yes, and I think that's been one of the things I've enjoyed so much about being part of the Women's Foundation is seeing how how people will stretch into contributing for a cause that they believe in, no matter, you know, where they're coming from. And um, it's, it's, it's really inspiring when you see that, that spark that somebody says, oh my gosh, I, I am so behind this and I want to get in in this sort of a way and I'm going to make a difference because I can. Exactly. Yeah. So what is the legacy you hope to leave? What do you want to most be known for? Uh, you know, I honestly have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I really don't. It's not um, something that I think about. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I don't do or I hope I don't do, and if you ever see me leading with my ego, then I ask you to check me. What I hope that we as an institution or any of the um, professional opportunities opportunities or groups that I've had the the privilege of being a part of. I hope that we are collections of good people who learn to listen to one another and to begin to um, learn with compassion from each other's stories and then to find ways of building collective action. Um, And again, in a substantive kind of, of way. So I would hope that I have been a part of, in a broader sense, building safe spaces where many people feel as though they are welcome and where we can spark conversation that leads to um, meaningful solutions in a relevant way for the Mm -hmm. times. 
I like that. I like that a lot. I've, I've really admired your leadership um, of the Women's Foundation, you know, the staff, you know, how the team has really just come together, the board, the community that, that you're speaking to. And I, I often am talking about leading with grit and grace in my business. I mean, I love that, that, that terminology. I, you know, I think we all can do the grit really well. It's like get out and push and drive and, you know, do the strong things that we need to do to step up in, in the work that we're doing. But the grace piece of it is something that I see you really epitomize in such a beautiful way. And it's, you know, you strive and you're dreaming really big and you're taking some big leaping changes and, but it's the grace piece to me that feels really inspiring and really um, what the kind of leaders we need in our world today. And so can, talk, to, uh, talk to me a little bit about your fundamental, fundamental philosophies around leadership and, and, you know, and if you can address anything, what grace means to you in leadership. Well, I have, it's all I can do to just sort of really um, uh, sort of emit one of my booming laughs out loud when you use the word grace okay. um, relative to me, because my mother used to call me Ferdinand the Bull in the China Closet. <laughs> I am not known for my grace. <laughs> uh, when I interviewed Michelle Obama, one of my um, biggest fears, staff actually practiced with me walking across the stage um, because I was so afraid of falling down um, in front of 8,500 people. So the word grace to me uh, is pretty funny. And I also think um, it, it also amuses me because I think I'm I'm spontaneous and I'm intuitive. Yes. And see, I think that's part of it, right? I think that's a little, I think grace is internal. I don't see grace as an external thing. I see it as this is internal and it's tapping into intuition. It's tapping into that knowing. Well, if that's the case, then I, I, I do believe that um, I have learned over the years, I'm coming up on my 64th birthday, so this has certainly been an evolution, but to trust my gut, mm-hmm. um, to trust my instincts, and I am a big picture thinker. Uh, the, the joke that we have in the office is that I will point to some faraway mountain and I'll say, we're going to go there. Um, and then I, I'm thrilled that I have a staff that can fill in my gaps and then they can say, well, you know, are we going to take a train or, you know, how much water do we need? And, and I don't necessarily have those answers right. <laughs> at that point in time. Um, but I do trust that on the basis of listening and engaging in community and understanding the heart of philanthropy, um, generally that that mountain is the direction that we need to go. Um, I, and it can be awkward, to be quite honest. I mean, you have to be willing to have some fits and some starts and, you know, for the train to break down or whatever it may be. Um, but then you do have to have the grit to just keep going. Right. And if you build a team um, where we fill each other's spaces for each other and we become a collective whole, um, where we can talk openly about our weaknesses um, and how other support can make us better, um, providing an atmosphere where um, growth is welcomed and it's not viewed as competition, where there's 
transparency. Um, and again, it's not about ego. It's about success for the larger goal, uh, about getting to that, to that mountain. But then you have to find the next mountain. Uh, right. And that could be exhausting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done mountain after mountain all year long this yeah. year, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny. I've only done the outward bound once in my life. I climbed Mount Massive. Um, but it is a metaphor because I was terrified uh, when I climbed Mount Massive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was interesting when I reached that summit uh, and and I was afraid of the heights of it. The wind was coming up. We had to get down before lightning, you know, showed in the skies. Um, but afterwards, I had such pride um, that I had made it and I could look out across that vista and see all of the mountains um, that were yet to be conquered. And I had deep appreciation for the people who had helped me along the way to the top of that mountain. Right, right. So it has been a big year for you at the foundation. And I, you know, you've had, you started off with, this was our 30th year anniversary. Then you spoke at the Women's March. Then you interviewed Michelle Obama. Then you released your new five-year strategic plan. What has been most memorable for you this year? I mean, it's, it's what an incredible year. It's just been so much fun to be a part of it. It has been fun, and having the kind of year that we have had also requires that I mute future expectations. We're now going to grow continuously and find new mountains, right. perhaps at a slightly more gradual pace, um, <laughs> because we need to go deep um, and wide, again, back to not just symbols, but also the substance yes. that those events represented. We have an obligation to that strategic plan to do it well through our programs through our research, our grant making, our public policy. We have a commitment to build community and philanthropy and to demonstrate our impact. But if I didn't say that interviewing Michelle Obama was the highlight of the year, um, I think that everyone would, you know, think that I was being delusional. Um, Of course it was, but it was a highlight for me. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that just makes sense. Um, yes. That was a peak moment of my life. But not just for me, it was the joy that we felt as a team, um, that we had had the courage to ask the question, um, yes. that we received a response within uh, 10 days because she resonated and her team resonated with who we are, what we do, with our core values, with our mission, with our vision. And we were able to execute it um, internally, which is also extraordinary. Uh, And we were able to draw in some investors, some underwriters who really believed in us. And we earned using not only those large dollars, but also um, grassroots investing uh, through the text to donate um, a very large sum of money um, that will make a difference uh, in making sure that we have sustainability for the future, um, as well as effective grant making and support for our communities today. But uh, I have to say that when uh, she was introduced by those diverse young women in seven different languages, which that was so incredible. Oh, that was so incredible. And just share what happened. I mean, just so our listeners will know, go ahead and share that what what happened as Michelle came on the stage. 
Oh, it was, um, we had uh, 20, very, very, very diverse. I mean, I can't even list all of the representative um, groups who were on the stage. And among them, seven of them spoke seven different languages, including American Sign Language and Spanish and Mandarin. I mean, the list just goes on. And uh, we had been told that it may not be possible for her to meet the girls in advance, Secret Service, you know, of course, um, it was their job to ensure that um, we didn't just sort of overwhelm her um, prior to her going on stage, but she saw, she saw them backstage and immediately made a beeline for them, hugged each one individually, would hold their faces in her hands and um, speak to each one and then took photographs with them. So when they then proceeded on stage to give the introduction to her, uh, it was so heartfelt. They had received this extraordinary gift, and the energy of that introduction was apparent. But speaking of the energy, this was a nonpartisan, non-political event, and every attendee um, acknowledged that they felt that we had been really successful in achieving that. Yes. And to be on stage uh, as she came on stage, the the feeling, I, I've described it to someone not too long ago as saying, it felt as though I was envisioning the old Care Bears and the Care Bear stairs having 85 or 8,300 Care Bear stairs just sort of, <laughs> you know, pummeling color and energy and um, and the crowd would not stop. The ovation right. went on and on and on. So I would have to say a highlight for me was to simply uh, stand in witness to that experience uh, in response, not to me, um, but to her, to this yes. opportunity that we had uh, to be able to hear her voice in her first public event. Yes. And, you know, and I think even for me as a board member, and I was sitting in a row of other board of trustees, and we sat in that moment, in that energy with tears, all of us had tears streaming down our face. And it was, it was, it, it was tapping into the energy of what that room was standing for and, and, you know, what we were all coming together to be, to do, how we wanted to make a difference with this. So I, I totally get the energy of the room was just amazing, totally amazing. It really was, and, I, and a beauty for me, uh, although I could not see the audience because of the lights, I literally could only see a few people in the first row. Um, I knew, and pictures indicated afterwards, and other people said that the diversity of the room, because we were able to make tickets available, starting at $50, $75, $90. We had 4,100 seats at under 100, at $100 or less. So the diversity of the access and the ability to make philanthropy attainable, to have a common message of women and men of all backgrounds, races, identities, um, coming together for that common positive um, cause in a non-political, non-partisan environment was extraordinary. So I'm proud of us. Yes. Um, and I'm honored to have been able to represent us. 
So uh, you were talking just now about it's time now to go deep. It's time to really move within the communities. We, we've laid such a wonderful foundation in this year. What does deep going? And I know our five-year strategic plan has us really focused on helping women achieve mm-hmm. a, li- a livable wage. Talk to us a little bit about this vision and this focus and how you envision this will help Colorado women. Well, you know, our vision is that all women in Colorado, regardless of their backgrounds or identities, prosper. And in the context of prosperity, that they have choices around their lives. Uh, and we all need to prosper um, spiritually, emotionally, economically, you know, and our surrounding families and communities as well. And our mission is to advance and accelerate economic opportunities for women and their families. To that end, uh, when we talk about the feedback that we got uh, from 1,300 people around the state, which is statistically huge, um, a third of whom stated themselves in the words that they don't make a livable wage, then that means if you can visualize for just a moment that a woman is not having to make on a daily basis the kinds of choices that sacrifice the health, the well-being, uh, the safety or the future uh, of either herself and or her family. Um, so a car as compared to um, paying off tuition, uh, the ability to have healthy food um, and the ability to have uh, safe, high-quality, accessible and affordable child care. Uh, all of those kinds of things, a pathway to a job uh, that allows one to have a roof over one's head and an adequate roof and adequate access to transportation um, that is reliable and consistent. So that's what livable wage looks like and feels like. It's an absence of fear and it's um, an increased access to choice. So to that end, um, we are committing to a slightly different uh, strategy for our grant making over the course of the next three years, where we're currently in the process of doing site visits with amazing uh, nonprofit organizations who provide uh, direct comprehensive services to women and their families in a two-generation approach, and they represent communities statewide, um, and we will be selecting direct service grantees together with our public policy grantees, also doing research, providing them with technical assistance, and building in learning tools that help us to inform the field about what works best to advance and accelerate economic opportunities for women um, and their families. Uh, We often say that it is really important that we break through uh, glass glass ceilings. And as Michelle Obama said, sometimes those shards that fall um, can be challenging, but there are women who are committed um, to providing those kinds of opportunities and, and leadership at the highest level to use their privilege on behalf of others because we recognize that uh, as glass ceilings are being broken, there are women who also need roofs over their heads. So um, when we go deep 
We are committing to having relationships. We have a very diverse grant-making committee, um, a very thoughtful uh, public policy committee. Um, we're asking them how they will engage with community, um, how they will meaningfully and deeply uh, provide support to women on these pathways to education, to jobs, um, access to childcare, uh, in addition to uh, giving voice to the need for um, you know, pay equity. When you think about it, um, you know, there are a number of data points, but they're, they're meaningful. 290,000 women in uh, Colorado earn a minimum wage right now. That's just which crazy. Which means that they earn $17,285 a year. Uh, and similarly, Colorado women aged 16 and older earn 80 cents on the dollar compared to their male counterparts. Uh, because we believe that men and women uh, are equally as important of all backgrounds and identities within our communities, we believe that they should have equal access to opportunity um, to create the kind of, of success um, that leads to prosperity, economic, spiritual, emotional, um, that sense of safety, uh, of elimination of fear of living on an economic edge. Yes, yes. And it's, it's such important work right now. And I'm so honored to be part of, of helping drive this, helping make these changes and bring that, these changes to, to our state and actually beyond our state because we've got other states standing up and really taking a notice of our good work that we're doing here in Colorado. And it's, it's exciting to see that ripple effect that comes even outside of Colorado. So, um, Absolutely. You know, we've had opportunities um, to speak at the Women's Funding Network earlier in the fall about our work in public policy. Um, we're a part of a national network called Prosperity Together, um, where other women's funds around the country are coming together um, to share strategies of communication, again, public policy, grant making, uh, so that we can uh, provide learning to the field uh, across the country. And in addition, just next week, um, well, I'm not quite sure when this is airing, but on the 6th and 7th of November, we'll be participating in a statewide conference on two generation strategies where um, we will be bringing a gender lens perspective uh, to that conversation as well. Nice. Nice. So is there a story about a woman that the Women's Foundation has worked with that is really stands out to you? Well, you know, we have, uh, over the past couple of years, uh, spent time highlighting the work of our grantees. It's really important that people realize that when they're giving to us, we're a unique community foundation that uses strategies of grant making and building philanthropy. We hold donor-advised funds um, in addition to building community. And so the resources that come into us help support other experts who are working uh, in direct service or in public policy 
in the field. Um, they are changing lives on a daily basis for hundreds and thousands of women. So we have featured videos that people can see on our website at www.wfco.org. Uh, last year, about April, uh, who participated in a program in Northern Colorado Project Self-Sufficiency that helped her to become um, an engineer, uh, an environmental engineer. She went from uh, being in uh, a situation that was very challenging for her and her son as a single parent. Uh, again, 36.5% of single moms uh, and their children live in poverty with children under the age of 18. And they helped her um, to achieve those dreams. Similarly, Julia was featured um, at our luncheon this year, who, uh, through a program here in Denver, Colorado Women's Employment and Education, um, she was able to move into uh, a field where uh, some 20 years ago, she was literally homeless. She and her son were, were homeless. Uh, and she began working as, for those people who remember, as an operator. Uh, <laughs> right. For, um, yeah, <laughs> people remember phone or public service <laughs> operators. Um, and then moved her way up into management and became a home, homeowner. So in each case, these women not only stabilized their families and their futures, but they also became contributors as homeowners, as consumers um, to our economy. Uh, the Institute for Women's Policy Research said if there were equal pay, um, and they said this in 2015, $9.2 billion would be added to our economy. That's good business sense. It is good okay, business sense. This isn't sense. just about women. Um, this is not about women versus men. Um, this is about helping women thrive so that Colorado can rise. Yes, yes. So Colorado Gives Day is coming up here on December 5th. It's an important day for the Women's Foundation. And it's a day where we can all come together and make a difference for Colorado women around these, these types of stories. What would you like to tell our listeners about this day? Well, I think it's important, again, to recognize that we are a unique community foundation. So by giving to us, you're giving to many other organizations using our lens of expertise on identifying those organizations who um, have some of the greatest impact on our community through philanthropy. And on Colorado Gives Day, it gives us an opportunity to expand our resources. So it's Tuesday, December 5th. The website is coloradogives.org. I won't spell it out, just coloradogives.org. Um, they have a $1 million incentive fund, and every nonprofit gets a portion of that fund. So if you give on Colorado Gives Day, your gift goes even further. Um, and starting tomorrow, November 1st, um, today is Halloween. I'm still not sure when this is airing, but um, you can schedule your gifts in advance. Okay. And last year on Colorado Gives Day, generous donors um, raised $33.8 million for Colorado nonprofits. Wow. Uh, through us, uh, again, you're channeling where one gift supports multiple um, nonprofits. And that is the power of being a community of giving. 
of being a community foundation. We rely on gifts from thousands of donors. Uh, what makes us unique is the fact that while we have a geographic focus in the state of Colorado, which is also uh, a larger geographic footprint than um, one often sees, uh, we also have a gender lens. And right now, only 7.5% of philanthropy goes specifically um, to women or girls. And that unique approach, again, when women thrive and our families thrive, Colorado rises, uh, is an important incentive for Colorado Gives Day on Tuesday, December 5th. So we hope that your listeners will um, schedule their gifts in advance at coloradogives.org. Uh, and speaking of participating, um, we also hope that uh, your listeners will turn to our website, uh, which is WFCO, F. CO, F as in Frank for Women's Foundation Colorado, uh, and sign up for our e-newsletter uh, as well as our other social media because that way we share information about events. We just had Octavia Spencer. We've done events statewide on STEM. Uh, we have an empowerment council uh, of young emerging uh, donors who give an annual gift of $500 who are planning conversations about the issues that they think are most important and relevant in today's uh, society for women. Uh, we have our powering extended philanthropy group, but we also share our perspectives on uh, key issues, whether it's family planning uh, or whether it's our research or how people can become, invo become involved uh, in public policy and doing outreach uh, from a legislative perspective. So we, as, and you know, I have to be honest, we just issued our um, most recent hard copy newsletter and the feedback that we've gotten about stories of inspiration, about diverse communities, including refugee and immigrant, uh, about philanthropists and why they give and their backgrounds and what inspires them to have impact. Uh, I think the sharing of those stories armed with the information um, that is relevant and timely and accurate uh, gives us the motivation that's necessary to continue to do the work. Yes, yes. You know, I've never been more proud to be part of an organization than I have been as part of, to be part of the Women's Foundation. I think it's a, I would encourage any of our listeners today that if, if you're wanting to engage to find out how you can get involved with the Women's Foundation in, you know, lots of different ways, um, do jump out to the website and take a look at that. So, Lauren, I have a final question for you um, to close off our interview. This is always so much fun. Um, what are three pearls of wisdom you can leave our audience today? I mean, just thinking through your wonderful lifetime, what you've learned, the wisdom that you can bring to our listeners, what would you like to share with them? Well, um, before I, I move into that, I'd like to thank you, Cami, for the opportunity and for your commitment as a trustee mm -hmm. and as a philanthropist and your commitment of time, talent, um, treasure, and certainly in this instance, testimonial on behalf of the Women's Foundation of Colorado. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. <laughs> uh, I think there are a couple of things uh, within the context of my life 
I have had, um, you know, both uh, challenges. I've had significant uh, challenges within my life, um, circumstances of, of trauma or of loss at a young age. And when I think back on that and of my ability to find healing and resilience, um, it has been because there have been people who have extended opportunity and love to me, um, where I've had resources to be able to find um, the kind of support um, that was necessary to continue on my path. And so I think it's really important for us to recognize um, how important it is just on an individual basis, uh, not only to give money to support organizations, and nonprofit organizations supported me um, during that those times, um, but also to be able to, um, to see people for who they are mm-hmm. um, and to recognize that we all do have stories. I am here with you today, um, not only because of the, the privileges that I've had, um, but also because I've had to walk through some fires um, and, and because people um, were community who surrounded me and really diverse community um, members, again, in many different ways. And they came into my life with passion and compassion. Uh, These are the things that Maya Angelou says uh, are a part of the ingredients for thriving, are passion and compassion, humor. I'm sitting here now on the phone with my Shrek ears on um, (laughs) for Halloween. I know. (laughs) Uh, uh, Style. You know, I like to think that that we show up just who we are um, with courage uh, in that regard uh, and generosity and kindness. So when we think about not just symbols, um, but also substance, how do we take those words on a daily basis, either with our coworkers, with our family members, uh, with people that you may run into in the grocery store, uh, uh, whomever it is that you may encounter. Um, I hope that you will see them and trust that they are, uh, most of us are on these journeys um, with the best of intentions. So if yes. we can tease those out, uh, even with some element of surprise where it may be un- unexpected, um, then we may build alliances and we may go deeper. And certainly in the spirit of the Women's Foundation, I believe that we will build a better community, um, that we will be able to spark more philanthropy, have greater impact, and ultimately um, fulfill our vision of prosperity. Oh, thank you so much. It's be- that's beautiful. It's- I love that vision. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Lauren. I know you you were able to fit me in and amidst a lot of different travel and things that you've got going on. So I really appreciate it. And um, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. And um, thank you for all that you and your listeners uh, are doing. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? 
I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGellner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.